When I started this podcast, I had three purposes with it, and those three purposes still exist. I want to practice podcasting. I want to become a better listener and a better friend, and I want to show people all along the way that you don't need to look to celebrities to find interesting people in your life. Chat with your neighbor, chat with your friend, chat with your brother, your sister, your cousin. These people are interesting and wonderful. I'm looking for a little bit of feedback though, and I'm hoping that you guys can help me. If you can send your feedback of what you think of My Wax Museum, send that to mywaxmuseum at gmail.com. Again, that's mywaxmuseum at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy my chat with Richard Dudley. Richard Dudley, welcome to My Wax Museum. Well, thank you. So, um, we always start, uh, as, I, I was, as I was explaining with how we know each other, is there a specific moment or impression you remember having of how we met? Well, I remember I got back from my mission and... I met you because you were in my ward mm-hmm. in Carburn. That was probably like a month after I came home or something, probably. Yeah. But uh, to be honest, I'm not sure if I remember any first impressions. I remember seeing you as a very open and uh, talkative individual just in terms of like you're willing to engage with people and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, the first time we met was at, you were cleaning the church. And that's the first time I, I think I remember meeting you. Hmm. And I, I, I think like, I remember that. Yeah, I thought, I thought, I, I was like, I like this Richard guy. He's nice. He's cool. So, and then we became friends. Yeah. But, yeah, other, other than just thinking that you were just a nice dude, I don't think I had any, you know, further impression than that, you know, it, was, it wasn't any crazy weird experience. Like yeah. Bridge jumping together or something, you know. Um, so cool, okay, so that's how we know each other. That was two years ago or how long ago was that, a year and a half maybe? Somewhere in that time period, yeah. 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 Like 20 months, 22 months, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so uh, then getting, getting into it, getting into uh, getting to know you a little bit and, uh, and seeing where you're from. I know kind of a little bit about your life. I mean, we're friends, so, you know, I've heard the odd thing. But in, in this, I'm going to kind of go through more of that and find out deeper, you know, where you came from and, and what you're doing and what you've done. Uh, and so starting from the beginning, where were you born? I was born... In Clovis, California, which is nearby Fresno, um, that was the hospital, was the Clovis Hospital. Actually, I think Clovis is actually in Fresno. Well, anyway, I don't actually remember anything from there. I moved when I was like, I wasn't even two when I moved. I'm pretty sure I moved out of Fresno. Yeah, so no memory of Fresno, that's just where you were born. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and where did you move to? Uh, I moved to Edmonton, actually. Yeah, yeah. Also, no memories of that. We lived there for like a year or two as well. Okay. I probably do have memories. I probably just don't realize that it was that Edmonton. It Edmonton. You just remember, oh, a house, oh, my mom, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like and so, 
So you lived, you were born in Fresno, moved to Edmonton for a couple of years, and then, and then where did you go from there? From there, I went to Abbotsford, B.C., yeah, and I lived in B.C. for a few years. I lived in Abbotsford and Chilliwack, B.C. Um, I actually do have a lot of memories from those places. I remember uh, we had a big yard in Chilliwack. Um, we actually built this really decent-sized greenhouse. It's probably like a 600-square-foot greenhouse, 800. Oh, it might have been bigger, actually. I don't remember. And it was for my oldest brother, who's 10 years older than me, Andrew. He uh, he loved cacti. He loved plants. He actually loved like anything nature related. So he kept. He pretty much had every kind of pet that you could have. He had like tarantulas, scorpions, snakes, spiders. Most of this was without anyone in the house actually knowing that he was keeping these things, and he would hide them like very inconspicuously. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then every once in a while, like, a lizard would escape or something like that. And he'd be like, oh, shoot. And then we'd have to, like, tell the family. The family would have to look. But um, there was one pet that we did know that he had, and that was Speedy, which was a turtle, a Florida red belly. He was probably about six inches in length, maybe. But um, I remember one time when we were living in Chilliwack, Andrew um, brought Speedy outside. And then left him, I guess. And then all of a sudden, Speedy was gone. And we could not find Speedy. Anyway. Um, gone forever? Like, you never found him? I'm getting there. So, so we, uh, some time passed by, like, a few days. And we thought, okay, well, he's obviously dead. And then weeks and months passed by. And it was, how long would it have been? It was, winter passed by, so this would have been like six, seven months later. Speedy emerges out of the garden, like out of the greenhouse. Like he pops out of the dirt <laughs> and then starts walking. He was hibernating for the winter. Yeah. And so we found Speedy because Speedy was hibernating for the winter time. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. He got out and he went hibernating. Yeah. So, uh, so your brother Andrew. Yes, he is. Okay, so, and he's 10 years older than you. Mm-hmm. So um, you obviously come from a big family. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing Andrew has memories of Fresno and stuff. Yes, he does. Before you were born, did your family move quite a bit still? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yep. And, uh, and why, what, why was that? Was your dad going to school or jobs? or? Um, a lot of it was school-related. My dad, uh, he has a doctorate in psychology, but he went to like multiple different schools for that doctorate, as well as um, the simple fact that my family is just okay with picking up and going yeah. wherever there's the best job or whatever the situation is, we're just okay with picking up and going. We've done it so dang much at this point that it's really not a big deal. Yeah. So, so I mean, I guess as a little kid, when you moved from Fresno to Edmonton, from Edmonton to, to British Columbia, those moves probably weren't hard for you, Mm-mm. right? But then you had these good memories out in BC with the animals and the greenhouse and all this stuff. Did it make it harder to leave when you left there? 
No, we were moving over to Washington State, which was probably my favorite place that I've lived, and we had the most memories of Washington State. I do have to say, though, like, we, I was totally okay moving, like, that was no issue for me. However, the big issue was that I had a hard time at school because I never had enough time to make friends. Yeah. And so I kind of just, after a point, I kind of just gave up, in a sense, with that. So that was the difficult part of moving so much. Some people do fine. My brother Danny, my younger brother, he was absolutely okay with all those moves because he's so extroverted. People love him. He has energy. Um, whereas he and I are just different in that way. Yeah. And so that made it a little more difficult for me than it did for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, naturally. Would you describe yourself as an introvert? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how long were you in BC for? Oof, three years maybe. Three years, and then you were in Washington State. Yes. Which has a similar-ish climate depending where you are in yeah. British Columbia versus Washington State. The difference is, is that we are close to the ocean in BC. We were on the ocean in Washington. Oh. Like, right on. In Billingham, we had this big uh, three-story house, split story, but three stories up. Yeah. And the top story poked above all the, the tall trees. And we had this just gorgeous view of the ocean, which was maybe like a three-minute drive away. Really? Gorgeous view of the ocean. How long did you get with that view? How long were you there? Um, about a year yeah. is all, unfortunately. And then after, that was in Bellingham, and then we moved to Blaine, in which we were literally a two-minute walk through this little patch of forest, this little hike to get to the ocean, yeah. and we'd spend a lot of time there. Um, in fact, I went back to Washington just because I haven't been back in forever, right? And so I went back with my sister just about a month ago. And it was so funny how much I actually remembered from when I was seven and eight years old. <laughs> I, I remembered so much, though, about um, just little, little details. It was, it was really fun to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I loved those houses. They were fun houses. Um, my house in Bellingham, the really tall three-story house, it, it was really fun. It had like the laundry chute where, you, you know, it just opened up cool. into the basements and you just throw your laundry down. It falls right into a basket, yeah. you know, and then it had like an intercom system. It was an old house, custom designed by a dentist back in like the 70s, 60s oh, or something like that. Yeah. But uh, the market was really cheap back then. So we got it for dirt cheap. Yeah. But um, it was a really fun house. The yard, the backyard, was totally just enclosed by forest. And you have to understand, it's pretty much... That area wasn't rainforest, but nearby it, it was all just rainforest yeah. in uh, Washington and B.C. So it was, it was thick vegetation. And anyway, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool for me to, you know, when you're telling me about kind of how you get to divide up these memories by like your ages because you've lived in different places because I've lived in the same place my whole life 
right, relatively. And so I don't, I don't know, oh, that's from when I was seven, and that's from when I was this age. So that's really interesting for me to hear uh, about, about that. Um, so after, after Bellingham, you said? Mm-hmm. Well, it was Bellingham to Blaine, and then after that, we moved. Yes, it is. After that, we moved to um, Calgary, actually. So reason being was my dad was commuting, and so it would be that he would be gone for a few weeks and then come back for a weekend, be gone for a few weeks, come back for a weekend. It was really hard on the family. Of course, we all really loved my dad because he had always come back with treats or whatever and we we never had a lot of money growing up in fact there were times when we were extremely poor like dirt poor um and so he'd always come back with treats which for us was a delicacy because we never really got treats right um and so that was always fun when dad came home but it was really hard on the family especially especially my mom um and so my dad was commuting to Calgary because that's where his job was. Okay. So we thought, okay, well, let's just pack up and go to Calgary. And so he doesn't have to commute and we don't have to miss him uh, for such a long period of time before we'd see him again. Yeah. So we did. Yeah. We moved over to, no, where was it? Might have been Forest Lawn area or Temple area. I don't exactly remember. Yeah. But that was, that was the area that we were in. Um, lived in a cheap little home. I don't really have any memories from there, except for the fact that the person who uh, was my cub leader had the same last name as me, and you're like third cousins once or twice removed or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Lori Dudley. Yeah, the Dudleys were, uh, they were fun. They were good people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. So, so you guys decided to move to Calgary because your dad's job was here, which makes you know that makes sense. That happens a lot uh, to people. And did you did you guys have any connection to Canada already, other than having lived here previously? Did you was your mom Canadian, your dad American, or like where did they come from? Other way around, actually. Okay. My my mom's American, my dad's Canadian. So my mom grew up in Boise, Idaho, okay. or the Idaho, Boise, Idaho area. My dad grew up in McGrath, Alberta. Oh, okay. Yeah, my ancestors, uh, Charles Heber Dudley, uh, who was the, a second generation member of the church back in 1898, he was one of the members who were called to go settle the Alberta area. So he, in 1898, came up and settled McGrath. He was the first person to settle McGrath, and they lived in a hole that they dug out of a hill. Really? <laughs> yeah, about a year after he was there, he brought his family, but I can't imagine what winters would have been like, yeah. you know. And that, that was the start of my family coming to, to uh, Canada. Yeah, and they helped work on the irrigation canal, which was the first major irrigation canal in Canada, and it really opened up possibilities all throughout this area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, the canals down south are huge. Yeah, and we wouldn't have, like, the farms that no. we have today. None of that stuff. We wouldn't have nearly the economy without it. Like, this area wasn't able to be settled, really, because we didn't have the economy. Total desert. Exactly, Yeah. And so that canal really set up opportunities in terms of um, uh, 
farming and stuff like that. And so I don't think people realize how big a part the early LDS members um, who lived in southern Alberta helped the Alberta economy. So that's how your family came to Canada on your dad's side, and then obviously on your mom's side, it's through your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, did they they met at school? I'm assuming. Yep. Yeah. BYU at Idaho or Rick's College, as yeah. it was back then. Yeah. And they uh, and got married. And how many how many kids were in your family? Six kids. Six kids. Mm-hmm. Danny's the youngest, and Andrew you said is the oldest. Yeah, it goes Andrew, Jenna, Alan, Emma. Me, Danny. Nice, nice. Um, and so, so after you moved to Calgary, did you guys stay in Calgary for the rest of your life then? Like- well, basically, the Calgary area. I've also lived in Chestermere, Langdon, and a little community called Lialta. Okay. I've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it's just on a golf course out in the middle of... It's in between um, Chestermere and Strathmore. Is where it is, and a little bit north. Yeah. So, so you guys have moved a lot, even once you're kind of settled in an area. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've moved now, other than my mission, so not counting my mission, because that'd be kind of cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But not counting my mission, I have probably moved 19, 20 times. Really? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, I know. I know, I know since I've known you. Yeah, 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 that's true. So, so I mean... Three I'm times. Three times. When we first met, I guess we were... Well, when... Oh, no, no, since you and I met. Since you've known Alan, it's probably been three times. Okay, but for me, yeah. it's been twice. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of funny to to see, because I thought we moved a lot growing up, but not near as much mm-hmm. as you've moved around. And you've lived in different cities, two different countries, and, uh, and so your, your citizenship... I'm assuming you're a dual citizen. I am. Yeah. And, uh, and that's probably pretty convenient to have around, eh? Yes. Yeah. Very convenient. Yeah. Have you had any particular like, experiences where that's benefited you? Ooh. Um, going across the border is always easier because it's a lot better looking for someone to cross the U.S. border as a U.S. citizen than a Canadian citizen. Um, really, I don't think so, other than um, there are possibilities that will open up in my future mm-hmm. because of that. Like, for example, I can work in both countries, which most people can't say they can do without like a, a yeah, without going through that complex process. Um, I can go to school in the States if I want to. Yeah. You know, there are just so many possibilities that will open up because of that. If, if I take advantage of them, maybe I'll just live my whole life in Canada. I don't know. We'll see where it takes me. We'll see who I get married to, which is a big one. Yeah, that's a so. big determining factor of your future. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you lived in all these places, but you settled down in Calgary. So you grew up mostly in Calgary. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd say I have 
most of my childhood memories I'd consider to be from BC and Washington. However, my growing up years were really here. Hmm. That's a good question. Well, there are a lot of different experiences I've had here in Calgary just because I have moved so much. Like, there's not a lot of consistency when it comes to school and friends, right? Which is really a big part of your life when you're growing up is school and friends. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, I really started to develop socially here, not really even until high school, to be honest, like even throughout middle school, elementary school, all those years, I was extremely socially awkward. Like people, it would not be uncommon for someone to think that I was autistic and ask like a family member of mine if I was autistic because I was just so bad at socializing. I just had such terrible social anxiety. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people thought I was autistic. <laughs> just, no, no. Your, your family's like, why is that Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And they're like, no, he's definitely not autistic. Yeah. It's just because I would freeze in public and I would just kind of curl up into a little ball in my mind in a sense. And I would suddenly lose awareness of what was going on around me. And when I was talking to someone, usually there are social cues that you're actually paying attention to them, that you're engaged in the conversation yeah. that I wouldn't show. Oh, okay. I wouldn't show those cues of engagement. Yeah. And so there are similar things that I was showing because of my social anxieties to what people would show with autism. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So you're just a little, a little socially off. Maybe a lot of socially lot awkward of back socially then, awkward. yeah. Pro- probably less now, though. I, I feel like you're pretty well adapted. Hugely less now. <laughs> At least I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, since I've known you, you've been, you've been pretty good. I don't get that question anymore, yeah. so... <laughs> yeah. No, I never, I never asked Alan. I was like, Alan, hey, your, your brother Richard, is he autistic? He okay? He's a little off. He's, you know... Uh, no, that's pretty funny. Do you, do you think... Were you louder at home? Like, do you, do you feel like you were super comfortable at home and around your family and louder? And... Hugely. Yeah. 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 So I kind of, like I said before, gave up on the whole friends idea for a large part. Like, for example, I would eat lunch at school alone, right? Just because I didn't have any friends and I didn't feel comfortable talking to people. Yeah. But at home, that kind of became my, uh, my security in a sense, because I felt a lot more comfortable at home. And so a lot of this anxiety and pent-up emotion that I was feeling would be released at home. I was probably pretty hyper at home just for that reason. Yeah. Um, I grew some pretty deep connections with family members because I knew I could rely on them. I would talk to them. And because I just never really learned how to rely on friends at that point in time. Yeah. And so family kind of became my go-to in every situation. I was a thousand times more comfortable with family than I ever was with friends. Yeah. So. So you built a pretty strong 
Yes, I did. Yeah, which I'm sure that's a, that's a huge strength for you. I mean, I come here home and there's like the little, you know, family and it says home and they're, you know, Dudley family, you know. And, uh, and so obviously family is like a super, super important thing for you. So do you think almost your social anxieties almost help you in that? Like they, they were uh, kind of a, a benefit to you despite maybe feeling a little awkward at school and maybe not having as many friends as you might hope? In that regard, yes. I was really able to learn to rely on family, mm-hmm. which I think has been a big help to me even today. Um, I find that a lot of my friendships, even though I really enjoy them and I, I love my friends, once someone leaves my life, I have a tendency to lose contact with them. Maybe that's because I move so much I'm used to losing contact with people. Yeah. However, um, yeah, I, I find that I just don't keep in contact with people well, um, but my family I always keep in contact with, and I do pretty well that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that a lot of my bonds that I've built with my family are because of those rough years growing up, going to school, not being able to make friends. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that, that's good. I mean, having been myself, somebody who, who has struggled with friends, I think every kid has, you know, that's not a unique thing. Um, definitely having anything that stabilizes you and gives you some strength. Were you ever sad growing up that you had a harder time making friends or that it took longer for you to make friends and that you were moving a lot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never really regretted the fact that we moved a lot. I probably didn't even make the connection that that's, that was a lot of the reason why I was struggling so much in that area. But yeah, I was, I was quite depressed yeah. back then. I, um, it, yeah, it was, it was a real struggle for me. I really wanted friends. I would try to get friends. A lot of friends were were um, not very good friends <laughs> that I made just because I was desperate, yeah. you know? Take what you can get. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, anyway. And, uh, yeah, I know, it, it was a difficult period of my life where I would come home crying because of this or that, you know, or where I was seriously depressed because of what I was going through at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And was there anyone specific in your family that you talked to about this that you might have talked to? No, I didn't really ever open up to people about that kind of a thing. I don't know why. Um, I remember trying to talk to my dad about it, and then he would say that I wasn't going into detail about it, and I'd think, what do you mean I'm not going into detail? And I think it's just because I didn't know how to go into detail about my life. Like, I'd never really done that. I, In fact, I'll tell stories to, like, my mom and siblings now, and they're like, why on earth did you never tell us about any of this stuff? And it's like, I don't know. I didn't realize that I didn't, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And do you think do you think it would have helped if you were able to go into more detail if you kinda of understood a little better and 
probably, because then I would have been able to uh, get quicker aid. Because really that's where my social problems started developing is because I wasn't able to make friends. It would, it, it would get worse. It's kind of like a downward spiral, right? Of um, I'd try to make friends. I wouldn't. My confidence would go down. So my social skills would go down. So I'd try to make friends. And I definitely wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And what eventually helped you? What helped you get out of that? Um, consistency. In high school, I remained in the same high school for all my years in high school, three years in high school. And uh, that consistency allowed me to be able to build friendships that were more meaningful. Um, as well, being in the same ward, I was able to build friendships that lasted and I was really able to like learn to gain some confidence in that area as well before I left on my mission I took a trip to Ethiopia which was a huge experience for me in terms of my confidence which was really poor back then right but um I went to Ethiopia for three weeks for a humanitarian trip and I really learned to like be more independent there. I learned to have more confidence. Um, I would say that that was a, a big part in my development actually. Yeah, and what was, what was this trip? What all did it entail? So there is a, a group Canadian humanitarian and they set up schools across Africa for those who cannot afford education it's free education for like the bottom of the bottom for people in Africa which is saying something yeah the bottom of the bottom right um so we would go we would help teach a little bit we would go visit the families we would help with giving them supplies that they needed and so I went and I got to meet some absolutely incredible people there um, and got to help out with some pretty desperate situations, meet some people who had kind of emerged from desperate situations. But yeah, that was a, a big deal for me. And so, so see, seeing these people living this different life, I mean, in, in the first place, what, what brought you to go on a trip? What made you do that? Well, my dad knew that I struggled with um, a lot of anxiety, especially social anxiety as well as confidence. Mm-hmm. Well, confidence was kind of the root of the anxiety issue. Uh, your dad know, knew, knew that you were struggling with your social anxiety. And so how did he kind of help you get into this trip? Or what did he do there? Yeah, so um, he knew that I was struggling once again. And uh, I think that it was good because he was aware that I probably needed a little bit of a confidence booster before I left on my mission. Um, I couldn't even, when I would go to a store, I'd always take my younger brother, Danny, the extrovert, and so he could 
I'd give him my card, and so he could go talk to the cashier person, or if we go to fast food or whatever, I'd always give my card to him, and so he could talk to the person because I was too nervous to, yeah. which on a mission wouldn't work out very well, right? No. Um, so my dad was approached one time about a humanitarian trip to Ethiopia, and um, he thought, you know, that would actually be really good for Richard. And so because of my parents' generosity, they paid for the trip, <laughs> the whole thing, which I was really lucky about, you know, really lucky that they were able to do that, that they were willing to do that. Um, but that trip was a probably a really big part of my development, doing something that's more so independent. I didn't know anybody going on that trip. Um, that was cool. It was a, a story that I could tell. So it was just a big confidence booster for me. It was something unique. It was something, you know, something that when I imagined someone who was really cool, something that they would do, you know, and so. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, I mean, it gave you confidence because, I mean, it was cool for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, there, there was a group of people, but yeah. I didn't know any of them. You didn't know any of them. Yeah. So that'd be, I mean, a wild experience. Was it hard to get into that? Like, no. Like, for you to kind of start to feel comfortable with? No, for whatever reason, it, it wasn't really an issue. I think that my social skills had developed to an extent by that point, just because of high school. They had developed to an extent that I was able to do fine on that trip. It was kind of like a blank slate, not knowing anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I was just able to go and, you know... Be Richard. Yeah, exactly. So, I no, I wouldn't say that that was really an issue. Yeah. And so how did you grow on that trip? What, what uh, any specific experiences that helped you develop? Um... We would go and talk to a lot of people. Like that was part of our role was to go and talk with these families of the the children who were attending the school. Um, I would say that a big part of developing my confidence in that trip was being able to talk to those people and being able to do so in a, um, what's the word? Not professional. In in just a, a good, positive manner. Yeah. Responsible manner. Um, so I would say being able to talk to those people was a big part of my building my confidence. That I was able to associate with these people and do so well. Like I, I found that I was able to do so pretty well actually like able to I knew what social cues there were and so on so forth I was able to be respectable I was able to you know it didn't mean that I was the funniest person because humor wouldn't really get across the the language barrier right but um I didn't need to be the funniest person and so my personality actually kind of worked to my advantage there and I think that that was 
that showed me something about myself, perhaps. Yeah. And so, what, what did you learn about yourself then while you were there? I learned a little bit about my, my strengths, probably. I learned a little bit about um, how I was able and decent, actually, at uh, being able to associate with others on a more formal basis, perhaps. Um, but even outside the formal basis, I was able to get along really well with the, the people who I was going on the trip with. And that was, that was uh, really good for me. I don't know how that happened, but it did. How I was able to get along with them so well when I didn't know them. But that was a that was a good thing for me. Yeah, and it helped you develop your confidence, and it it, it helped you kind of grow a little bit more into the person that I know, into Richard Dudley. How how long before your mission was this? Was this right after high school that you did this? It was about a month after high school, and it was about a month before my mission. Okay, so right in between. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you were there for three weeks, you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet that. Was that kind of like interesting for you? Oh, hugely. I really enjoyed traveling and stuff. Not that I've done it as much, nearly as much as I want to, but I would go back to Africa in a heartbeat. Yeah. Like 100%. I would, I would love to go back. I would live there for months at a time if I could, probably. I felt bad because we were kind of, of course, if we brought the house that I was living in and the kind of accommodations we were receiving here, it'd be pretty desperate, right, from what we are living in in Africa. However, if I were to go back, I'd, I'd want to <laughs> get something dirt cheap. I'd need a bodyguard, right, or someone to guard the house. Everyone does who's white or has any amount of wealth, right? That's just a necessity because you'll get a... You'll likely get robbed or whatever otherwise. Yeah. But, uh... I'd I'd do it. I'd I'd go back and I'd live cheap and <laughs> you know I'd live a more uh, adventurous kind of lifestyle, more like what they live. And um, yeah, I think that that would be a lot of fun. I I really enjoy traveling, though. I really enjoyed the opportunity that I had to go to Africa again. I would go back in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean that's that's really interesting um, hearing from an extrovert or an introvert, I should say, is that you, you know, love to get out and live this adventurous lifestyle. And that you kind of, you know, at least to the extent that, you know, you're not living in your normal North American kind of life. Is it, is it that it's different that it draws you to it? Or? Yeah, and it's real. Yeah. It's real. I feel as though the life we live here is very superficial. I know people talk about like, okay, I'm going to get on a rant here. I know people talk a lot about like the signs of the times and like how, you know, world's going to end second coming and it's going to be post-apocalyptic seeming, right? However, they're looking at like 10% of the world that doesn't live in poverty 
you know? <laughs> it's like, well, most of the world is actually in those desperate situations which you're imagining. It doesn't mean that North America is going to become desperate like that, right? Because most of the world is. And, and so just uh, talking about that, most of the world is actually in those desperate situations, is in poverty, and I find it to be more real. I find the people to be more real. I find them to be, um, they, they learn to enjoy what they have a lot of the time if they don't become bitter, um, which a lot of the people that I met did not become bitter, and they were just sweet and loving and carefree yeah. in spite of the, the struggles and fight against hunger that they had, in spite of the fight against um, all odds facing against them since they uh, before didn't have an opportunity to receive education, so they were going to be stuck with a, a poor job. You know, just all those factors. The people were just so real, yeah. so down to earth, and I think that I really love that um, that aspect about it. I I do. I enjoy the reality of yeah. going to different places where people are in poverty. Yeah, and do you think do you think that uh, kind of perspective gaining experience that seeing that you can still be happy despite all of the negative situations that you're facing in your life. Do you think seeing that is part of what helps you with your confidence? Kind of seeing a little bit more, hmm. like what, what really matters kind of thing. Maybe so. I don't think that um, that was really ever an issue except for the fact that I wanted friends. Mm -hmm. Um. I grew up poor, again, like without much at all. There were points in my parents' marriage where they didn't have beds, where they had stayed in sleeping bags on the ground in their house, <laughs> yeah. you know, for Christmas. Our, we would get like a family present. We'd get a box of cereal and we'd get gum and uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> that was yeah. kind of our Christmas situation for a lot of years. Um, so I don't think that that was ever really an issue for me, learning to be happy with what I had, because I, I was always happy. I didn't know different. I learned to play outside. I learned to dig holes in the ground for fun, <laughs> you know, climb trees, that kind of a thing, um, just because we didn't have much else to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have the, the game stations. We didn't have the PlayStation. We didn't have any of that stuff. And so... Yeah, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Were you aware of that situation growing back, uh, growing up? Were you aware that you guys didn't have as much? Or, you know, is it just hindsight? Like, oh, that was a, you know, a, a less lesser Christmas as far as financial stuff goes. More so hindsight. I mean, when everyone at school would have this cool toy... And then we'd come across it at the store and it'd be too expensive for us to get. That didn't really click in my mind as we were poor, I guess. Um, however, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, we didn't have a lot. We'd have um, pancakes every morning because it was cheap. It's just like, you know, flour among a few other ingredients. But pancakes were dang cheap, so we'd have them literally every morning. I didn't mind. <laughs> yeah. Kids love pancakes, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. 
Interesting. And now, now growing up and now having this perspective and having lived, you know, your life up until this point, what are you doing now? Ooh, I'm going to school. I am working and I am trying to live the kind of lifestyle that I want to live while I'm single. I mean, when I'm married, I can't go on trips, so I want to go on trips. I am currently planning a trip to coastal BC to go to a remote island that has the largest population of spirit bears in the world. It is dead remote, though. We, you can't even travel there by boat or anything. We're going to have to go take a 20-hour ferry ride from Prince Rupert down to uh, some random island down in BC, and then I'm going to kayak seven and a half kilometers north of there to get to this island. Really? Yeah, it's remote enough that you need to kayak there or boat there somehow in order to get there. So that's going to be fun. And then backpack through there for a bit. I think that's going to happen right before the semester starts this year. Yeah, that's so. awesome. And who are you doing this with? Um, I'm planning it with Michael DeHaan. Okay, I don't know him. Yeah, yeah, he's a... Uh, he's a... Uh, do you know Maggie Zemp? No. Okay, he's dating Maggie Zemp. Yeah, he, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. Love the guy. That's he's awesome. he's awesome. We both do rock climbing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um I was thinking about it and I was like, who on earth would be crazy enough to do this trip with me? And I couldn't think of anyone and then all of a sudden, oh Michael DeHaan, you know. That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And I asked him and he was totally down. So that's the trip we we're planning. I next year I wanna do a big like three week Alaska trip. I'd love to go to Baffin Island or Greenland, but all those trips are like, for traveling, you're spending three to four grand. It's, it's unreal just because it's remote, and so it's really hard to get there. In order to get to Greenland, I'd have to go out to Iceland and then take Air Greenland, which is a, an airplane company. They have like two planes or something, yeah, yeah. or one plane maybe. Probably, probably not either. <laughs> no, no, heck no. And then I'd need to go from Iceland over to Greenland, but that trip's expensive, or I could go by boat. Anyway, um, so I'm planning an Alaska trip where I want to go up hitchhiking through Alaska, go up into the Denali area, and Denali is the tallest mountain from base to height. Everest starts at 17,000 feet, so it's only... A... Yeah, 17,000 feet, so it's only about 13,000 feet tall from base to height. But it's still the it's highest elevation yeah. at, at 29,600 feet or something like that. Yeah. Whereas Denali is about almost 21,000 feet in elevation. However, it is 18,000 feet base to height, oh, okay. which is about 5,000 more than Everest. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so I'd love to do hiking around there. I'd love to go to Peninsula and see if I can catch a glimpse of any of those 1,000-pound grizzlies, the max yeah. we get in. In uh, this area is five to six hundred pounds. That is the max that we get in the Rockies yeah. or anywhere in the world outside of the the um, Alaskan Peninsula for grizzlies. That's yeah. a big bear. That's huge. Some of them get up to like fifteen hundred pounds. Holy. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to go try and catch a glimpse of them. Yeah. So yeah, next year I want to do that trip in Alaska. That'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I figure. If I were to get married, if right girl came along and I were to get married 
in six months. Cool. But I'm not going to live my life in such a way that I am sad that I'm not married yet. I'm only, I'm only 22. I'm not going to live my life in, in such a way that I'm depressed about this or that. I mean, I was for a little bit after I came home from my mission that I wasn't having success dating or whatever. And then I was like, after talking to my siblings, why am I caring about this? I'm 22. Like back then I was 21 or 20. And so now it's like, well, I'm just going to do cool stuff, you know? And so I started rock climbing. Last year I was doing a ton of hiking. I don't know how many kilometers I was covering over last summer. I want to start doing one-day backpacking trips. Well, the length of a backpacking trip, but in one day, where you just cover that much ground. So I'm planning a 60-kilometer trip um, in October to do it in one day over in Assiniboine, because in October the larches turn yellow, the larch trees, and Assiniboine is this gorgeous mountain, triangle-shaped mountain like the Matterhorn. Um, They call it the Matterhorn of the Rockies, but that's a trip that I'm planning is my one day 60 kilometer trip over there and that's gonna probably kill me but it's gonna be cool (laughs) exactly that's awesome yeah so you're just kind of taking advantage of you know being young and and letting yourself have some fun while you're there exactly that is exactly what i'm doing unfortunately i've got the the stinking school here and because of that, I can only make so much money in the summer and then so much money part-time elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to not be in school and save up money for trips. But I have more important aspirations than that, right? Yeah. I want to go to medical school. And so that means that I have to be devoted to school. It means I can't really skip out of school for a week or so to go to this or that place, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, you have to work really hard. Um, but that's my aspiration, is medical school. And my aspiration for that definitely comes before my aspiration to do trips. However, I don't think that it's a complete compromise one way or the other. I think that I can do both. Yeah. Or compromise isn't the right word. It's not mutually exclusive. Exactly. Yeah, you can, you can partake in both activities and enjoy both things and, and work towards medical Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially while I'm single, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, nobody to coordinate schedules with or anything. Mm-hmm. So, why why do you think it's important for you to do these trips while you're young and going to school? I love doing it, and I know people who make their lives miserable while they go to school. I don't want to do that. I would rather be a little poorer and I would rather um, I would rather sacrifice a little bit and live the life that I want to live as opposed to no sacrifice and living the boring bland life that I see so many people living Mm-hmm. It's something I love doing. I know a lot of people don't care for that kind of thing, and that is their 
that is their prerogative, what they want to do, what they want to enjoy. However, for me, that's the kind of thing that I love, so that's the thing that I'm going to do. Yeah. And why, um, why, why medical school then? What, what do you want to do? Well, I've always toyed with the idea of being a doctor, but it was when I was probably about 16. I had a friend who got really sick. I went to go visit him in the hospital, and he was talking about the doctors and surgeons who were helping him. And then I decided there, I was like, okay, well, that's what I want to do, medical school. I don't want to do a job where I don't feel like that I'm helping people directly. I mean, um, I think that you can help people in most any job that you're doing. However, I feel that I want that to kind of be the focal point of my life is being able to help people and medical school is just the avenue in which I want to do that. Um, I've thought about, well, I want to be a pediatrician of some kind. I love kids. I would love to work with kids. You know, they go into your office all terrified, absolutely terrified of whatever is going wrong in their lives. And then you get to be the, the calming influence, you know, to be able to to help them to understand that it's going to be okay. And, you know, I would, I would love that. I would love that job. Um, I've thought about psychiatry. I think that pediatric psychiatry would be simply amazing. Um, being able to help these little kids who have this or that mental disability and I'd be able to diagnose as well as um, uh, prescribe medication and things like that, you know, just to be able to help them. However, I'd also, I also really enjoy the ideas of neurology as well as uh, cardiology would be interesting. You know, there's so many different avenues that I yeah. could go, but those are kind of like the main ones. Neurology or psychiatry would be the two big ones in my mind. Pediatric, yeah. Yeah, and so, so you want to be able to help people. Yeah, I'd say I grew up, like I was saying, in a situation where I was depressed and I just didn't want people to feel that way. I didn't want people to feel as I was feeling, you know, because I was not happy that I wasn't making friends. And anyway, I, I, I think because of that I grew a level of empathy. And so um, because of those experiences, I have decided just that I want to be able to be in a position where I can help people. Hmm. I think that's fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, to kind of wrap it up here, uh, do, you have, do you have any advice for people who, who feel that way, who maybe feel the lack of confidence that you felt, who maybe feel uh, the, the depression that you felt and Oh, um, I would recommend that you go do something with your life. I'm not saying that you're not, but learn to let go a little bit. I find that people with those kinds of confidence issues worry too much about themselves, think a lot more about themselves than they need to, especially in social situations when they're like criticizing everything that they're doing, every little thing. But just to learn to let go. 
of that. Um, confidence will build over time. You know, that's something I'm still working on. But uh, that's just something that naturally builds, right? As we go through experiences, as we learn more about ourselves, and also as we stop caring about how we are relative to others, right? Like, that that's a big part of it, is just to stop caring how we are relative to others. So just, I'd say, go have fun. Go do things that you like to do. Go do things that make you feel good about yourself. And learn to let go of how you feel that you are relative to others.